Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and gender identity meet with host Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. Transition of Style is produced by Fashion Consort with music provided by Sarah FM. Welcome back to Transition of Style. In this episode, we talk to Amy Stretton, model, multimedia producer, and creator of the Chief of Style Life and Style blog. Before we dive into this week's episode, we want to thank you, the listener, for supporting Transition of Style. Without your support, we wouldn't exist. So please tell your family and friends to listen in and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. And while there, please leave us a review as it helps us to reach more listeners. If you want to donate, please visit our show page at transitionofstyle.com and look for the donate button. If you're a queer business looking to sponsor or advertise on this podcast, please do so on our contact page as we'd love to include you. And now, this week's episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Transition with Style. I'm your host, Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. What's going on? Today, I have with me Amy Stretton. Amy, what's going on? Hey, so good to oh, be here. so good to have you. How's life? Ooh, you know, <laughs> just making it through 2020. <laughs> We're barely making it through 2020. We're yeah, all it's just like barely... the little engine that could at oh this point. Oh my God. You know, I think I can, uh, I think I can. And sometimes we can't, so <laughs> it's very strange. Um, but listen, it's so wonderful to have you here. Before we get started, before we talk about anything, please tell me, what are your pronouns? Sure, I use she and they pronouns. Fantastic. She and they, awesome. So can you tell the TOS audience a little bit about you and what you do? Of course. Again, my name is Amy Stratton. I am from Los Angeles. My background's in journalism. I actually lived in New York where I studied journalism. I've worked as a reporter in lots of different places, including Canada, New York, Miami. And, you know, I took a transition, my own transition from journalism into essentially style blogging. And I created the Chief of Style back in 2017. It was this passion project that had been in the back of my mind for probably like 10 years. I really wanted to celebrate my body, my size. And honestly, it was kind of a self-love project. That's how it began. I really didn't like my body. I was a victim of diet culture, like a lot of folks, men, women, everything else in between. And, you know, I had just decided that, you know, it's time. It's time for me to start posting cute pictures <laughs> in clothes that I like. Everybody has always complimented my style. Even when I was a kid, I was very much a, a fashion like diva, fashionista. And so this was like my opportunity to really do that, but also lean in on being plus size. And what does that mean to just say like F it to diets and to just love the skin that I'm in? And so, yeah, it was a, a self-love project that became a business and, you know, I've monetized it, worked with brands and that sort of thing. And I, I get told all the time that I've inspired some folks to, you know, finally wear that bikini or finally show their legs or finally wear that dress they always wanted to wear. And yeah, so that's kind of how it happened. And, you know, I have other things down the line and other things I'm working on, but the Chief of Style is my heart. And, and did you say, but I'm not sure if you mentioned, how long have you been doing Chief of Style? Sure. So I started the Chief of Style officially, I think it was like February of 2017. Mm -hmm. And I grew very rapidly in the beginning. Like I had a brand contract. I think I was doing modeling with uh, Parfait Lingerie. They had a body positive 
self-love campaign, and I was one of the models for it. So my first national campaign was in my underwear, and it was sort of like, (laughs) literally fake it till you make it. Like, so yeah, so that was a really exciting opportunity. And then very soon after that, I worked with Dove and like other large brands. I kind of got in when like the whole plus size thing was really, you know in style or whatever. Yeah. No, and I was going about to say, and so in 2017 doing that work, that was do you feel like it was still sort of opening up for people? It was it was starting to be something people were talking about and and wanting to to see more of in media. At that time, there was there was very little of it, I would imagine. Is that right? Yeah, it was very much like about Ashley Graham, Gabby Fresh, obviously Nicolette Mason, then like Alex Michael May got big, like Nadia, then I mean, there's just so many, so many babes who like came out during that time. And, and, you know, Gabby's been around and some others have been around before that. But I feel like 2017 is when things really got hot and a lot of brands were hungry for plus size influencers and bloggers to work with. So I jumped in at the right time. I wish that I had had the courage to start when I really wanted to start. But I always I did that thing where I was like, when I lose weight, then I'll start a style blog. When I lose weight, then I'll X, Y, Z. And it got to a point where I'm like, screw it. Like, whether I lose weight, gain weight, I'm still an amazing person and I have a lot to contribute to the world. And the world's going to hear me and make space for me, whether I'm a size six or I'm a size, you know, 18. 100%. 100%. I love that. I love that. You know, I think... What I what I'm listening to your story. What, the thing that grabs me and that makes me really think about it is how you started this blog because you wanted to celebrate yourself, right? So you were you wanted to find celebration in your body and 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 the way you look, and it turned into this opportunity for you, you know. And I I just yeah. I love the idea of something being you know this idea of creating these things because of something that we we need for ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and then finding the value in it for ourselves, but then people, you know, the, the greater and the larger public finding value in it for themselves as well. I think it's so beautiful how you created that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, honestly, it, it was sort of like, as I said, just like kind of a project. I sort of approached it in that way. It's kind of like a test. Like, let's see how this does, you know. But I also feel like I am my target market. So if I'm needing this validation, this, if I'm needing to see someone like me out there, then I should, other people probably need it too, you know, so like, let me do that. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I'm also indigenous and black and as well as a queer femme. And so I wanted to like represent not just on a size basis, but like how many black indigenous femmes do you see out here, you know, and growing up, I didn't have a lot of role, role models <laughs> to look at that like were were like me or looked like me. I remember when JLo came out, that was like, oh my God, there's a brown, you know, fabulous like woman out there, curvy and like all these things. But, you know, there still was that like kind of cultural difference or whatever. I mean, I, I grew up speaking Spanish, so I do closely identify to the Latinx community. But, but yeah, but, you know, it wasn't, she wasn't like me, like my people, you know, so... I don't know. I I guess I just, I know that there's a lot of indigenous youth out there. There's a lot of like mixed race youth and stuff. And I just, I really want to like be out here (laughs) winning and showing them that that's possible too. Yeah. Representing at the highest level. I love that. I love that. You know, tell me a little bit about your family history. Tell me about your background. 
Sure. So my mother is Chickahominy and Black. My tribe is from Virginia. It's actually a triracial tribe, wow. which means that there are, it's like a mixed race tribe, essentially. <laughs> a lot of the Southeastern tribes are that way. But, but yeah, so she's Indigenous and Black, and my dad is, was French-Canadian and Scots-Irish, and he grew up in Michigan. My mom grew up in Philadelphia, and they met in San Francisco, had me in Monterey, which is kind of further north from Los Angeles. It's kind of between here and San Francisco. I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, and then my parents divorced. I went to Orange County, <laughs> and it was a tough experience being a brown kid from L.A., living in Orange County, where it's incredibly homogenous. Everyone is essentially trying to be as white as they possibly can. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, I there was a lot of stereotypes that I had to deal with that people had of me. And the fact that I was bilingual in Spanish meant that they put me in a lot of remedial classes. And then they realized, oh, wait, this kid is actually gifted. I was a year ahead in math, teaching myself in math because they didn't have a curriculum advanced enough for me. I mean, it sounds, I feel silly saying all this, but this is the truth. Like, I really was a very smart kid, but because I was in this, you know, like, mostly white school, and they just, you know, they didn't think very highly of folks whose native language was Spanish. So the fact that I was bilingual, they, like, put me in these other classes. But anyway, so I, I dealt with a lot of, like, racism throughout, you know, elementary, middle, high school, and I decided to get away for college. So I went to a women's college in Massachusetts, totally thought that, like, like, I guess I didn't realize that women's colleges were where all the queers went. <laughs> like, I just didn't know that. My mom had gone to Mount Holyoke, and I was like, oh, I'm a legacy. Like, this is so cute, whatever. OMG. I, like, my first week, my first week, and I, like, meet this woman, and I'm like, oh, my God, I, I want to be her. And then that turned into, oh, my God, I want to be with her. <laughs> ah! start the existential crisis like I you know whatever so by by December I was like I think I'm bi and then it kind of turned into I'm a lesbian and then that kind of turned into I'm queer you know so it's been that my own transition kind of figuring out my own identity but I love that so yeah, much so, so, so I I didn't I wish I'd known that I was like gay gay back then because I would have like joined like the clubs and stuff but instead I was in the like our the equivalent of our black student union and I was the chair of the of native spirit the indigenous Oregon campus we had three members at our height it was awesome <laughs> so that was cute. that is so great and I love how the queerness was calling you even back then <laughs> it was like I know. come on over <laughs> yeah but so I I majored in philosophy and Spanish thinking I was going to go to law school and I worked at the Pentagon, the Department of Commerce. I had really cool internships in D.C. and in San Francisco in undergrad. And I, when I moved back after I graduated, I moved back to Los Angeles, and I was working in entertainment because I've always been a storyteller. I love telling stories. I love, you know, giving a voice to folks who don't have one. And so I worked in entertainment, and I, I really felt like, geez, this isn't really going the way that I thought it would go. Like I was an assistant and a coordinator forever and I just couldn't seem to get like a, a job creating. So I decided to go to journalism school. I had taken some classes at UCLA Extension and news writing and I also had like way back in elementary school done a field report in front of a 10 freeway overpass. So it's like, you know, a big freeway here and the overpass had collapsed because of the earthquake. It was a 6.6 .6 earthquake. 
And so this was me as, as like a fourth grader holding a microphone, standing in front of this overpass with my principal holding my jacket and a camera guy, you know, filming me from the local cable access channel. Okay. Okay. Crazy wait, wait, story. No, but wait, anyway, wait, 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 let's back it up. <laughs> on, what? <laughs> wait, in the fourth grade, you're reporting on an overpass issue? Like, what, yes. what is that about? <laughs> me? <laughs> okay. So, yes, thank you. I, I appreciate your... Uh, Helping me tell this story. So, (laughs) okay, so when I was at this bilingual elementary school, I had written a news story for one of our, like, you know, current events, like, assignments or something. So I wrote a story about the 6.6 Northridge earthquake and the devastation that happened in Southern California. If you were around then or you lived in the area, you knew about the 6.6 earthquake. Like, it was, like, things were destroyed everywhere. It was nuts. So... Anywho, I I guess I was chosen by this local news or local cable access channel to be one of the field reporters for this partnership that my elementary school had with with them. So essentially they were producing a kids news show and they needed, you know, anchors and they needed field reporters. So because my story was good, I was always that kid, like the one who did everything. Like Played the flute on the dance team, like on sports teams. Like I was that child who was making my mom drive me everywhere. So anyway, I I like did this field report and I was standing there with a microphone in front of this freeway overpass wearing like this super cute outfit from Macy's. I think it was like the Blossom collection, if you remember, like for all the like 80s babies, 90s kids. And like I felt so legit because I had this mic in my hand and I knew that at the other end of it was people who were going to listen to everything I had to say, you know, and I was in charge of telling this story and I had all this information, this wealth of knowledge. I don't even think I could have put words to it then. I doubt that I would have had the words, but like looking back, I think it was just a very empowering position to be in because as someone who lives within the margins, being someone who's like a multi-hyphenate, I don't always feel like I belong anywhere. I feel like I can fit in anywhere. And that's a privilege, I would say. But I will say that as being someone who's like mixed on mixed on mixed, it's really hard because I don't feel like any one community or venue or whatever is my home. So being able to like own that quote unquote stage, I'll say, in that moment was just so empowering. And I felt very validated. So when I was thinking back to like, okay, what what difference can I make in the world? Because my mantras, I guess you could say, like, change the world in an entertaining way. Like, that's kind of been my mission. So I thought, okay, I'll go to J school. And so that's what I did in New York, went to journalism school. And then that's how I became a journalist. And then the rest is history. Well, I mean, you know, it's amazing. I'm listening to you talk about living in the margins. I'm listening to you talk about being a storyteller. I would say, though, being mixed upon mixed upon mixed and living in the margins puts you uniquely in the position of being able to understand people on levels that most people can't. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really great for journalism. 100%. I will say, when I was in New York working as a reporter, I worked for a paper. I don't think I want to say the name. <laughs> it was like a daily newspaper <laughs> that everybody knows if they live in New York, which is very conservative. Anyway, but that was where I got my start. And I would be 
all over New York City. Like, I know the New York City subway like the back of my hand. And I would be in one borough to the edge of another borough reporting on daily news. And I would be in so many different communities. Because, you know, in New York, you walk three blocks and it's a different culture represented. It was like living in the U.N., but like in the city. And I'm like walking from like a country to country sort of thing. And I could fit in pretty much everywhere. The only community I will say is probably the Hasidic community. Like, that's where I kind of felt like I stuck out. But everywhere else, people sort of like thought I was from the neighborhood. So they would tell me things that they wouldn't tell other reporters. And you got to understand if you know about daily news in New York, you're competing, I guess you're competing outlets and the people who work for them more than your own. Mm -hmm. So I would spend all day with the other daily newspaper and radio hosts and reporters more than I would folks from my own news outlet. So we would always kind of be near each other when it's a breaking story, like you're all kind of at the same place reporting. It's hard to explain, but (laughs) you know how like if there's like Something that's happening in the city, all the different channels will go or whatever. So a lot of the time I'd be there with my competition, but they wouldn't get the quotes I would get or they wouldn't get the little details. Or I would just sit and have a longer conversation because I just sort of got the community. I wasn't like a cishet white dude from... Right. I don't know, wherever. And this is what I mean about the comfort, how they can find comfort in you because they see something about you that they see in themselves. So they are able to Mm -hmm. be like, you know what, let me tell you about what happened, right? Which they might not with somebody that they don't feel as comfortable with. So that's where it's such a beautiful blessing. Mm-hmm. Like when you talk about living in the margins, I can see how that yeah. could have been many times in your life been very difficult, but also be such an incredible blessing for somebody who's a storyteller is, yeah. and a journalist. Totally. I definitely agree with that. I think where I tend to go is, it's great strategic wise for my career, but I'm thinking more of like the intrinsic needs of just like having the connection and belonging. That's where I'm like, oh. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Heartbreaking, but yes, I totally agree. (laughs) In a working environment, it's amazing. You can totally see both sides of it. And to me, it seems like you've made such a beautiful thing out of it. So I just want to acknowledge what you've made out of it, because it's something really beautiful that you've actually crafted it into. So let's celebrate that. Thank you. Well, it got me here to talk to you. And that means you're doing great. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You're doing great. Winning. (laughs) Winning. All right. Your story is amazing, but I want to ask you a couple other questions. And right also before we head up into our break. So how do you identify? I often say that I am a black, indigenous, queer, fat femme. Okay. All right. And let me ask you a question because we are going to head to break. Would you say that the way you identify and the way that you dressed that those two things mesh in such a way that they really communicate your identity adequately? I would say yes. The short answer is yes. Okay. I love the short answer because we're going to get into the long (laughs) answer after the break. So if you guys stay tuned, we'll be back right after the break. This week, I want to give a shout out to an awesome non-binary and queer-owned clothing company called Playout Apparel. They are a gender-equal, social good enterprise that donates 20% of their profits to LGBTQ plus and BLM organizations. Check out playoutapparel.com and find ethically made, super comfortable underwear and loungewear in a variety of sizes. On Instagram, you can follow them at playoutnyc. Okay, so before the break, Amy, you said that your style and your way of dressing does communicate your identity adequately. Tell me more about it. Sure. So I 
okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take a deep breath. Like You're like, way to explain this, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess I'm excited. I, know, I I'm don't listen. To it's an exciting this. topic. <laughs> okay, so as I mentioned, I'm Chickahominy, aka an indigenous person from the Chickahominy tribe. For me, I feel like I wear things that are representative of where I come from, similarly to the way in which a dancer might at a powwow. Mm-hmm. At a powwow, you have dancers of all different tribal nations dancing in an arena, and they have different types of dances, fancy dance, grass dance, jingle dress. Like There's lots of different types of, of dances. And so, But people on the regalia, which is what we would call what they wear, please don't ever call it a costume because it's not that. So regalia, they'll wear like a patch that like their grandmother made for them. Sometimes it's like the cutest thing. It, they'll have like a picture of like a basketball with like their basketball number because that's something that means something to them. They can also have something that's even more, I guess, significant. It could be maybe an eagle feather that they got from their grandfather or things that are just really representative of who they are and where they come from. And they wear that on their body. And so that's sort of how I approach my style and my my aesthetic. I'm very thematic. I love to dress for a theme. So I like love themed parties. <laughs> and so I have like a lot of hoop earrings that say femme. They're like gold hoops and they say femme inside the earring. I have like just nameplate necklaces that say different things that are just representative of like my vibe and who I am. And I just feel like what we wear on our bodies, it's our armor. And I think it's for protection, but I think it's also about representation and letting the world know who we are. I have another question for you, because as somebody who's queer and also femme, I'm always curious about what does it mean for your dress in that? Are there things that you do with your style that are meant to communicate queerness? Because as you know, you and I have talked about this. Sometimes if you're femme and you're queer, People don't see it. Oh, right. Yes. This is such a heated topic. <laughs> I figure because... I should just jump into the deep end of the pool and yeah, <laughs> with let's you. do it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. So, yeah, I think for a lot of femmes, I feel like a lot of us can relate to this. We will go above and beyond to find rainbow this, rainbow that. When the rainbow plus size collection that Lane Bryant has every year comes out, I'm like, oh my God. Like I scour the their website to find anything rainbow because it's like that's the only marker that people really can see. I'm actually trying to figure out why we don't, as queer people, see that queer is more than just gender neutral or masculine of center. Like I feel my most queer Queer, the more femme I am. So when I have my heels on and I have a dress on and I'm like looking banging, like, and I'm femme AF, like, that's when I feel super queer. Okay, let's take a know? moment. Let's so, take a moment. And as I take a okay, deep breath and enjoy yes. everything you just said, <laughs> I just want to swim in it. I literally just want to uh, dive into a pool of everything <laughs> you just said. Backstroke. And yes, backstroke. I want to backstroke, <laughs> breaststroke, you know, butterfly, the entire thing. Amazing. I love it. I love that so, so much. Bad. That's amazing. So going back to what you just said, we do as a queer community really get it twisted. And actually, even from the outside of the community, of course, that gets twisted. It gets twisted from there as well, mm-hmm. where queer has to look a certain way. Queer is a term that I didn't grow up using. 
but I am so happy to see it come mm -hmm. to the forefront right now because it just allows for so many flavors, so many styles, so many colors, so much variation of what queer people are. Like it really does give us the breathing room to bring to the stage queer looking like all sorts of things. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, that's actually why I sort of took on the term queer. As I said, I identified as a lesbian for a very long time. And then as I started to date folks who didn't identify as women, I was like, well, this isn't exactly accurate. And I also, in the name of unity and sort of just kind of family creating that with folks, I just wanted a term that just said, I'm essentially just not straight. I'm queer. And that also gives me freedom to be able to dress how I want. So sometimes, like I said, yes, I do feel femme AF when I've got like all my cute high femme accoutrement. That's for sure. But also I like to play with gender. Like I've actually been thinking about it a lot more of maybe like shooting some photos in more masculine attire. And I feel like the queer quote unquote label is the most flexible label and it just allows me to breathe. And I don't have to feel like, oh, I'm not living up to being a lesbian today because I'm into this trans guy or whatever. And I think it's also like, while my identity is my identity, I do want to let folks of varying gender experiences and expressions know that like, I'm a safe space, like I'm here, you know, and whether it's for dating or not, like, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I love that. And it's like you took the words out of my mouth, because basically what I was thinking is that is the thing about being queer is that it does lend for the room to be like, maybe I want to play with my identity a little bit. And I want to like, Think about what it might feel like to wear more masculine clothing or wear more feminine clothing. You're not so tied to one way of dressing and one way of looking. One of the things we mm -hmm. talk about, and you know, you and I can talk about this, is that my question for many of the people on this podcast is your identity, you know what it is right now, but what has it been? Is it shifting? Is it in flux? It doesn't have to necessarily be static. And that's the totally. wonderful thing about queerness. It's like, it allows for that room, you know? So I would mm -hmm. ask the same question of you. Like you just said that you might be interested in maybe wearing more masculine clothing sometimes or doing a photo shoot with that. It doesn't mean anything about your identity, but what, what do you think about your identity? Do you think it's something that has been the way it's been right now for a long time? Or do you see it shifting? Oh, I absolutely think it's constantly in flux. <laughs> As I get older and wiser and I grow, I start to discover new things that I like that I may want to incorporate in my style. I may learn about a new culture and I'm like, wow, like that's connected to my culture. And yeah, I really should celebrate that thing more. There's just so many examples I could think of, but this quarantine is a good example of a time when I am definitely changing and shifting and evolving. And I have been talking about feeling like a caterpillar in a cocoon and I'm going to emerge a butterfly. And when the caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it actually doesn't go from caterpillar to butterfly. It's caterpillar to mush to butterfly. So this is definitely like my mush phase, <laughs> but this is also the phase where I'm starting to like really discover myself. And my style has already changed since the beginning of this year. I'm starting to incorporate certain things in my looks that I, I used to not. So yeah, I think as we learn to love ourselves and all parts of ourselves, I think that also influences our style and how we present. And what do you think lends to the shift in terms of like 
you, you just talked about how your style changed. Like, what do you think kicks that shift off or kicks that like change off? Like, is it just from seeing other people wearing things that inspire you or is it just like an internal change? What makes that shift happen? I honestly think it's a little bit of everything and can't precisely be defined because we are products of our environment. And right now with social media and just how connected we are across continents and oceans, I feel like culture is being exchanged much more rapidly. And so if we're a product of our environment and our environment now includes the internet and the internet includes everything, there's, you know, no telling the ways in which it can, you know, impact you. You being indigenous, I feel like as though being indigenous and and queerness does not get spoken about often enough. Like that's Mm -hmm. not something I hear Mm -hmm. about often. And I wonder for you, where would you like to see more representation in that? Do you feel like you're seeing more of it? We need to see more indigenous queer people. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, I'm doing my part, or at least trying <laughs> we to. We know you are. You're doing all the things. <laughs> I'm holding up my end. What the heck? <laughs> well, I hate this because I feel like I'm blanking on names, so I can't think of these folks. <laughs> Unfortunately, I use the word native as well as Indian as well as indigenous. So FYI, so there's these two native guys that I know. They're a couple, and they're also fancy dancers. I believe they do fancy dance. What is, what is fancy dancing? It's just a type of dance at a powwow. Mm. So it's usually like has ribbons and like a shawl for like women's you know regalia and things. It's the very like pretty and large and bright and multicolored dance. Like you kind of know it when you see it so they they compete and they dance and they're also partners lovers (laughs) they're boyfriends and and I just love their page because you know how you like for anybody who's single or just loves love like (laughs) totally me here but I like love to see these couples on Instagram they're just so genuinely happy and maybe they fight whatever nobody's perfect yada yada but the point is just seeing that expression of love from these two very you know, unique people that we don't see every day is just so amazing. And I really wish that when we portray queerness, it's not just white and it's not just thin. Like there's so much beauty in diversity. I mean, I guess I've just always been in the diversity tip literally since I was born because that was just my whole reality was diversity. But I just really love seeing visual, ideally, representation of diverse queer folks. And you hit the nail on the head. Like, we really don't see enough Indigenous representation. And I think that's a shame because we are out here. I just think it's mainstream media and larger brands are not taking note of the fact that we're here. Right. <laughs> so, right. I mean, and that's very much yeah. the case. I mean, you're not seeing it at all in any sort of representation. I ask because I'm like, I want to know where to find more indigenous queer people, where can I follow them on Instagram? Like, I want to know so that mm-hmm. I can be aware and like, just know who's out here, who's doing it. Like, you're doing it. There's this really great account called Indigiqueers. Oh, I love that. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's so cute. And they just featured me this week. Yay! So oh, like, that's oh, good for thanks. you. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but it's cute because, like, you see people there and it's funny to be like, oh, my God, I didn't know that person was queer. Like, I've known them for so long because... I just feel like Indian country is so tiny. Like, we all sort of know each other. It's really cute to to see folks on that page that I, I may already know. You can also search through hashtags like Indigenous Queer or probably Indigiqueer hashtag or Queer Indigenous, you know, 
all the different word combinations. Yeah. But we are out here hashtagging, you know. Love it. Love <laughs> so it. when Instagram turns the hashtags on again. But. <laughs> oh, God. So we got to get on our hashtag game. I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my very practical way of doing it. I don't know. Maybe I should do a roundup or something uh, for my blog, you know, where I, I talk about. That would be wonderful. That would be, be great. Idea. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously, we're going to have you share more about your blog so that everyone knows where to find you and where to follow you. So that has to happen. <laughs> So let me ask you, if you could, you know, give yourself, like thinking back to when you were a kid, if you can give yourself a word of advice, a word of advice for yourself or even for somebody else who may be like not quite sure about their identity and they're struggling with it and trying to figure out what it, what it means for them and what fits Mm -hmm. naturally, what advice would you give yourself or give that person? Well, the first piece of advice that immediately jumps out in my mind when I hear you ask that question is never let perfection stand in the way of good enough. So for me, I've allowed my perfectionism to paralyze me. And I often don't do things as quickly as I could do them or as soon as I could start them because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of failing, but I'm also afraid of succeeding. I also have imposter syndrome, like hardcore. So So yeah, so I would just say like, don't let perfection stop you. The first draft is never the final draft. Just start right Right. now. The world needs to hear what you have to say. They want to hear your stories. You can do this. You have a voice and we want to hear it. So that's the first thing I, I guess I would tell myself. But as far as finding my identity, my style, I would say don't be afraid to experiment. I think Also, it kind of connects to perfectionism. Like we don't really want to do something or try something if we don't know that that's the right thing. But you won't get to the right thing until you kind of try some stuff. I also think solitude is so important. And I wish my baby self could have been okay with being alone a little more. I think I'm an extrovert, but I've used that as an excuse to constantly be around people or texting or on the phone or on social media. And if I had just spent more time reading and journaling and just listening to music, but doing it by myself, I feel like I would have maybe found myself sooner Mm. or whatever. I honestly don't believe in regret. So I have no regrets about my life. Everything has happened the way that it needed to for me to get to where I am Mm -hmm. now. And where I am now is the best place I've ever Mm -hmm. been. So I couldn't have fathomed being where I am now. But yeah, so definitely solitude and not letting perfection stop you. I mean, fantastic advice for anybody, to be honest with you. And and I love what you said about like the finding style and experimenting, because what we have to understand is that when you're thinking about style and dressings, it's going to change, right? So all of it is a stop along the way of somewhere, right? And maybe there is no Mm -hmm. ultimate destination. Maybe it's just a constant shifting, a constant changing. And your job is to just get on the road and like, let it take you wherever it's going to go. But like, you got to get on the road. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And have fun. Have fun. I I feel like people put so much pressure on things, but like, look, we're all going to die one day. Like, just have fun while you're here. There's no reason to make everything so serious. Dye your hair pink, whatever. YOLO. Like, can we bring YOLO back? I just, I know that that sounds so 30s of me to say that, but like, I want to bring YOLO back because that's how I feel about it. Like, you only live once, mofo. Like, do it. Oh my God. (laughs) Try it. So not just a journalist, model, and style blogger, but also a motivational coach. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Clearly. Hashtag goals. <laughs> you like got all the goals. You're doing all the things. I'm also just bossy. Like, let's just admit that. I'm just, 
I've always been bossy, you're so like, there's probably more. You're going to toss that in at the end I'm of the like, You're like, I'm also bossy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should I have am. put that in your descriptor at the beginning. I'm sorry I missed that bossiness. Hashtag bossy. <laughs> Hashtag bossy. <laughs> I love this. Listen, this has been so nice talking to you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You are doing so much. I need you to get into all the things and all the places you can be found. Sure. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm very Googleable. So Amy Stratton, there you go. But chief of style is dot com is my blog. Chief of style on Instagram, the chief of style on Facebook. Also, my journalism work can be found at amystratton.com. So I'm starting a new Instagram called Diet Culture Detox. I, you know, during this quarantine, wanted to work out more. And so I bought an at-home exercise bike. And I thought, okay, let's just pop in, you know, some YouTube video and do a workout. And it was really hard to find workouts that didn't talk about losing 10 pounds or burn this amount of calories. I just want to work out because working out feels good. Like, I actually... I'm a beast. <laughs> like when it comes to like lifting, I'm really into strength and like just feeling like a badass. So I popped in the most body positive spinning at home workout I could find. And of course, like maybe 15 minutes into it, the guy is like talking about, oh, just picture that dress you want to wear to that wedding or what it'll look like when you go to your reunion and you're 25 pounds lighter. And like, I get that that is a goal for some folks, but I don't want that to be my motivation for working out and moving more. So in this video, the next thing he said was that you could buy his detox teas and the link would be below the video or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I just need a diet culture detox. And that's when I was like, OMG, (laughs) diet culture detox. So Uh, What I'm going to be doing is interviewing folks who talk about health wellness from a very non-diet perspective. And this is is going to be a podcast, right? Correct. Podcast with interviews with experts. And I want to get, quote unquote, healthy. And when I say that, I don't mean lose a certain amount of weight, whatever. I'm talking about like feeling good in my body. I've had a year last year that I was grieving losing my dad And I I just didn't move. And I feel achy. I feel sore. I'm getting older. And I'm just aware of that. But to do this, I cannot allow myself to be inundated and overwhelmed with diet culture BS. And it's everywhere. Even the folks who are like, oh, this is body positive. Love your curves. No, they're trying to sell you something. It's just really disappointing. But there are some folks out there who have written books on the subject and talking about the connection with diet culture and white supremacy and... I'm so here for this like next level in my own kind of evolution when it comes to self-love and body positivity. So, Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear this podcast. It sounds like it's going to be really great. And I can't wait to hear some of these guests you're going to have on. This sounds like a topic that needs to be talked about. So I am glad you're doing that. That's wonderful. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited. (laughs) Amy, it has been such a pleasure having you on today. Such a great conversation. And I love who you are and what you represent. And I really hope that you continue to feel compelled to tell the stories that I know you have in you. And your stories are so tied to representation. So I'm here for all of that. I love it. Yay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk to you and 
and share some anecdotes <laughs> and thoughts with your listeners. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it's it. It's my pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for more. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Transition of Style. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on our show page at transitionofstyle.com for more information and follow us to share in the conversation on Instagram at transitionofstyle.com.